Well, good morning. Welcome again. I love that song. One of my favorites. Allie, thank you so much. Just, uh, I love Christmas at Milestone. I want to welcome you this morning. And uh, before I go any further, I just want to celebrate those baptisms. I mean, Blake this morning, and then we had two in our first service. And uh, I love baptisms because of what they represent. And uh, I love Blake's story. And I remember the first Sunday that we were here and, uh, and, and that they were here and that we met. And it was, it was that Cajun connection. You start talking Southeast Louisiana talk and you start talking duck hunting and swamps and gumbo. You just say the magic word gumbo. All of a sudden it's just like glory. All of a sudden. And it's just, hey, there we go. Preach it. I just, hey, just make sure you shout me down later on in the message. All right. So, you know, it's like. It was and it's been amazing to see as I've spent time with him and and Kaylee and uh, Wendy and I both and and just seeing what God's doing in his life and then I think about Jay's story, you know, uh, admittedly an agnostic and and you think about what was amazing. I had a conversation as a gentleman. We were setting up everything for Christmas and a, a, a gentleman that that comes to church here. He called and he started asking me questions about eternity. And he was, he was asking about, you know, so if I read what God's word is saying and, and what, I, what I hear, it's like it's not just good works. It's like an actual relationship with Jesus in order to, to get into heaven. And, and so we started talking about those things and the reality of what that is. And to think that outside of Jesus, that's reality. And, and we say it often, heaven and hell are real places and people really go there. And, you know, it's serious business, why we're so committed to reaching people and building lives. And, and so we talked about that and to think that people could potentially spend eternity outside of God's goodness. And that's why what we do as a church, why what you do is so important. I was actually talking to a young man on the way in here. I was just telling him there's a whole family that started coming to church because he invited one of, the, uh, one of that family's uh, sons. And, I mean, that's amazing to think. That is reaching people, building lives. You don't have to wait to be great. You can be a teenager. You can be a kid. You can be an adult. It doesn't matter. And so just so proud of you, Milestone, and, and what's happening and what God is doing. And so honored and excited to see what God's doing in Blake and Jay and in so many other lives. So uh, it's, it's an exciting season and an exciting time. Well, Christmas at Milestone is one of my favorites. I mean, I love it. I don't know about you. I've always kind of been into Christmas, but never really like, I mean, I liked it. I wasn't like bah humbug, okay? But it wasn't until like our kids, like having children and they started getting older. I'm like, I'm all about it. Give me the lights. Give me the trees. Give me the smells. You can ask the team. I'm like, I found this stuff. It like makes it smell like Christmas, makes it smell like Christmas. I'm buying that stuff all over. But you come to my house, it may knock you over. I mean, I like it at my house. I like it in here. I like it everywhere. I mean, I just love Christmas at Milestone. And there's so many special memories and times and seeing you as family getting hot chocolate and candy canes and taking pictures in front of trees and just the things that begin to happen in your hearts and in your lives and in your families. And it's an exciting time. And I think about Christmas. We all have a particular picture of what Christmas looks like. And one of the things that we do as a family, we started doing this a few years back. This year we're doing doing it a little different is always thinking about how do we get the kids to engage and interact with the Christmas story, to really understand what's happening in the Christmas story. And so we're doing these things. It's these little Advent cards. And uh, we pick these up. It's, it's by Kids Read Truth. 
uh, and it's Advent Connection Cards. Real simple little card. You take it out, and it's got a scripture, and you have them go to the... And it's neat, because I'm like, all right, go get your Bible, and Camden will get the Bible, and she'll actually read the scripture for that day, and then it's got these little questions based on their age, and then it's like this little fun little memory moment, and you're talking about, you know, what are your favorite Christmas traditions and things like that. And and then, you know, when when I think of it as we're, we're charting through, you know, you think of the nativity scene. This is our kind of little nativity scene at our house and and some of you have big ones and elaborate ones and some of you have real small ones and everyone and and that's what you think of you know there's some stuff you think of when it comes to Christmas but I'm talking about the Christmas story you you probably think of the nativity scene and you think of those things and as we've been going through this with the girls as you think about the Christmas story I want to share with you today something that kind of stuck out to me as you look at at the story of Christmas and something that may be, seem a little different, because what I want to preach on today is I want to preach on fear. You may think, fear? Like, what about Christmas cheer? You know, not fear. What are you talking about? Fear. Why, why are we talking about? Well, while there is peace and there is promise and there is power in the Christmas story, when you look at the individuals involved, fear was a component that was involved. There was a lot that was going on culturally and in that season and in that moment. And so fear is something that we all experience. I shared with you some of my fears a couple of weeks ago. You know, I had someone come put the lights on my house on a course. There was one light bulb that was out and it happened to be on the most steep part of my house. And I'm up there and I'm thinking, this is it. I'm about to fall. It's all over. I'm about to slide down my roof. It's, it's going to be over. You know, in the newspaper, you know, local pastor falls off his roof, breaks his leg, breaks his neck, breaks his arm, dies. I don't know. It's amazing how when fear creeps in, like you go from one extreme to the other. It's like 90 to nothing, right? Like that. And so I get up there, and I'm like hanging on for dear life, you know, just trying to fix this bulb. And, and so lights on the house are good, but you know what? We, we don't just stop at my house with lights on the house. We, we decided that a few years ago, what we're going to do is we're going to add an inflatable to the front of the house every year. So this is what this is my, my house now looks like. And, and they all have names. The only one I remember is the elf because his name is Buddy, okay? Uh, Buddy the elf, if you've ever seen that movie. So the reindeer, we added the reindeer. Uh, he's new to the family this year. Welcome to the fam, reindeer. We've got this, okay, so I, by, my, my, my brother has a, 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 a Frenchie. I thought this was a Frenchie, you know, and he quickly corrected me. He said, no, that's a terrier. So apparently I don't even know my dog inflatable game is just way low level, apparently. Okay, and you can't have Christmas without a llama, right? And so this is my, this is my front yard currently, okay? Now at some point I'm going to have to draw the line because there's going to be too many inflatables and I'm going to be that guy, all right, that just has inflatables all over the yard. But, but this is what it looks like. You know, you're kind of getting into the Christmas spirit. And, and when you think about it, you go back to the nativity scene. Now I, I'll be honest, I'm like rookie level. This is low-level, like, Christmas decorations. I'm just, I'm trying, okay? I'm working on my Christmas decoration game. But I'm going to tell you who's got real Christmas decoration game. It's when you're driving through the neighborhood, and you see someone that just has a full-on, full nativity scene. You ever seen those? I mean, they've got big old wooden cutouts. They've got lights shining up on there. I mean, you, they even have animals. There's just one neighborhood uh, in Arlington that we used to drive through when we lived in North Fort Worth. And I, I kid you not, there's, I mean, lines and lines of cars. And uh, 
there was this one house that we'd go by, and every year the kids looked forward to it because I mean they had a big old stable, and they had a big old uh, they had camels, they had donkey, they had it all, man. It was all, I'm like. That's next level, okay? Now, I don't know if Wendy's ever going to press me to do a full nativity scene, but there's some place. I, I don't know if I... Now, if we get a real camel, we'll do that. If we can get a real donkey and a camel out there, then, then we'll, we'll do that. But outside of that, you know, it's like I got to draw the line somewhere. It, you know, and, and that's the thing is for all of us, you go, what's, what's the point, Chris? What, what, what are we talking about? Nativities and camels and donkey. We all have a picture of what the Christmas story looks like. We, we all have this idea, and we think about just like whatever your little nativity scene is or big nativity scene is in your house or in your front yard. We all have a picture of the Christmas story and what we think of. We, we have this idea of what we think the Christmas story looks like. Now, I want you to open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to get there in just a minute. And, uh, and, and on the way there, we're going to look at a couple of different Christmas, uh, Christmas passages and Christmas scriptures to kind of look at what's really happening. You see, when, when we think of Christmas and you think of the nativity scene, you think of the power, you think of the peace, you think of the promise, and it's, it's still and quiet, and, and you have the shepherds, and you have the wise men, and you have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But if you know what's going on in that season during that time, there's a lot of turmoil. When you think about what's transpired, you think about what it took for them to get to where they were at. I mean, there's not a lot of ease in the mode of transportation, right? There's not a lot of ease when it comes to those things. Imagine traveling, the distance that they traveled. Some of you, you've been pregnant, you are pregnant. Think about traveling, unpaved road, donkey, bouncing up and down. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you don't like it when your, your husband's driving too fast, hit that speed bump too hard. Imagine if you were like just boom, ba boom, ba I mean, you, there's no like heated seats, okay? There's no air-conditioned seats. There's no Bluetooth with your favorite playlist, you know, that you just cruise. None of that, all right? You're just bumping along outside in the open. You got a donkey. You're trying not to fall off. It's uneven. I mean, it's not real easy. You think about the persecution, the things that are transpiring. You think about even why they were moving the way they were moving, why they were going, the threat and the opposition that they were experiencing, all of these things. And you have these moments where God comes and he interacts with people. God has been silent for 400 years. And in this moment, he begins to interact and he says, I want to come in. And at this moment, he's been silent for 400 years. And now he's beginning to come into history. And it's the beginning of what we all know is the change for all of us, the birth of our Lord and Savior. And so I want to look, before we, before we get to Luke chapter 2, I want, I want us to look at kind of the interaction that, that is happening. Because again, as I said, fear is a big component to what's transpiring here. There is peace, there is power, there is promise, there's excitement, and there's this hope that's filling the air, but there's also fear and anxiety. Just look at, at Mary's interaction and what happens with Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, uh, coming and going, hey, you're highly favored. I, I'm with you. I mean, that's some promise. That's some, something to be excited about. Yet, what's Mary's response? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not 
Be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God hadn't even spoken to her about what he wanted her to do. He just showed up and was like, you're highly favored. I'm with you. It was like fear and anxiety and worry and wonder and what if and what if and why. Now, I'm sure there's a little bit of a holy reverence, a holy fear. I mean, the angel of the Lord shows up. You're kind of like, whoa, you got to take a step back. And I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But you have to recognize here he is speaking and so much so that she's so overwhelmed. He has to say, do not be afraid. Then you look at Joseph and Matthew and, and the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph This is Jesus' father. This is Mary's soon-to-be husband. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, two times right here, we see how God shows up and his interaction is do not be afraid. You see, what happens is God's not saying don't be afraid of me. He's saying, don't be afraid of what I'm about to ask you to do. You see, God wants to intersect our everyday life and invite us in to something greater than we can even realize. Greater than what we can recognize. He's inviting us to play a part. He didn't show up. You remember, the people are waiting and believing for the Messiah to show up. Jesus didn't show up and go, hey guys, here I am, ready to roll, let's dominate. That's not what happened. He shows up as a baby. And yet, not only does he show up as a baby, God enters the scene and goes, I want to participate with you. I want you to play a part of what I want to do within the earth. Now, don't be afraid of what I'm about to ask you to do. You see, there's things God's going to ask of you to participate in, to be a part of, because he's inviting you into something greater than you can even realize or recognize. And he's saying, don't. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. So there's this aspect of participating God always invites us into, and you're going to experience a measure of fear when it comes to that. That's normal. There's this aspect of reverence and fear that you may have. That's like a holy fear that that you're going to have. That's, That's normal. But we look at what happens when the angel of the Lord shows up to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to look and see what happens here. Chapter 2, verse 8. Again, the Christmas story. Things you've read. Things you've seen. You heard lots of messages. But it's amazing how, again, when we're going through this Christmas story in Advent, this, this popped up. At, and like, just this little detail. Three instances right here. Verse 8 says, and, these were she- and, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. What are they doing? They're doing what they should be doing. They're where they need to be, doing what they need to be doing. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Terrified. They weren't just afraid. They were terrified. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, here it is again, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. To you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, multiple times, God is interacting with his people and he's saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Remember, silence for 400 years and all of a sudden, boom. God shows up, he starts interacting with people, engaging with people, inviting them into something greater than themselves. And he says, do not be afraid. 
You see, we all experience fear at some level. We all have fears. We all have things that we're afraid of. We have things that concern us and worry us. We all have fears, but we can overcome our fear. We don't have to be ruled by fear. You know, this week I was talking to the kids. We were all sitting. I was sitting at the table, and the girls were in the living room. Wendy was in there. We're talking. I started asking them, so what, what are some of your fears? Meadow, my youngest, she's like, I'm afraid of falling. I'm like, that's a good one. I'm afraid of falling. So me and Meadow, maybe it's genetic. All right, we, we both afraid of falling. Willow, my middle one, she's like, rats, dad, rats. I'm afraid of rats. I was like, that's a good one. I mean, rats. Who, who likes rats? We don't like rats. No, we don't want rats, okay? Camden, she's like, I'm afraid of breaking a bone. I was like, that's going to help you. You'll be a little cautious. I, I probably should have listened to that a little bit more when I was your age, you know. Then Wendy, Wendy has a real unique fear. Okay? It's real unique. She's, she's afraid of jaws. Not, not sharks, jaws. Okay, you, you get around her. Now, don't do this next week, okay, because she may be mad at you. And she's from New Orleans, so, like, when she gets scared, her first instinct is a right hook sometimes. Just saying, that's how they raise them in Louisiana, okay? And so, uh, you know, you come up to her and you start going, dun-dun, dun-dun. And I mean, she's just like, it don't matter. Anybody of water, it's like, it's not a shark. I mean, yeah, she don't like sharks. It's Jaws. Jaws is real. Jaws is there. Jaws is going to eat me. It, it, like, it all stems from, like, you know, she watched, I don't know, her grandmother decided it would be a good idea. I don't remember how old Wendy was. Like, show her as a little child the movie Jaws. Boom, traumatized, rest of her life. You know, it's like, that is her fear. Jaws is her fear. Now, those sound funny, and those sound humorous, and, and the crazy thing is we all have fears, but, but we have legitimate fears as well. There's some very real fears that we experience and that we walk through. You, you may have the, the fear of, of a health crisis. It could be fear of financial ruin. It could be fear of, of with your children, are, are they going to be who God's called them to be? Are they going to make the right decisions? What if things don't go well? What if things don't go right? We get overwhelmed and become fearful. I shared with you the fear I've had to overcome. It, it really, it's, it stemmed first in the way I, I first recognized it was seeing it when my kids, when they were younger and they would choke and I would get so amped up and so fearful, really what it came down to. I was afraid if something were to happen, I couldn't fix it. I was afraid of not being in control. So fear overwhelms and fear brings anxiety and fear, it, it, it overwhelms you. And listen, I've preached on fear for years. I've had to overcome fear. I can get fearful. You're human. We all experience fear. All of us. But what begins to happen is this. See, fear in a moment can be good. There's a shot of adrenaline, and you, you may uh, make a decision, and, and it causes you to, to engage in a certain way, maybe in a certain circumstance, because the adrenaline that fear brings. And so you'll feel and experience fear in a moment, but there's a difference in experiencing fear for a moment and living in fear. You see, and, and why I feel this is so important for us as I've thought for you, thought about you, prayed for you, is this, is it's not just simply, I'm not, I'm not saying fear because of COVID-19 and all that. All of that did was magnify what was already inside of all of us. The fear and anxiety and the worry of what is about to happen. The fear of feeling like you need to keep up. The pressure of climbing the corporate ladder. The pressure of wondering, will I ever measure up? Will I do what I need to do? And maybe you're not fearful of those things, but as I said, God may be calling you into something. 
He's calling you to step out in faith like you never have before. And he's saying, don't be afraid. You're afraid to step out in faith. You're afraid to trust him and recognize how he's with you. He's called you. He's for you. You know, as I was studying even for this, even though I've preached on fear a, a, a lot, as I looked and, and you recognize, do you want to know the most Googled fear of 2020? Anthropophobia. Anthro meaning human, person, okay? Pophobia meaning of others. The greatest fear Googled in 2020 is the fear of others. Here's the problem. You're going to be around others. You're going to be around people. You can't get away from it. You can't run from it. You can't, they're going to be around. You see, what happens is this. Whatever we experience in life, whatever we're drinking from when it comes to uh, social media and, and drinking being like an analogy of like this stream that you're just drinking from when it comes to what am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I filling myself with? When it comes to what I'm watching on the news and social media and online and all these things, what begins to happen is that gets into you and it starts to breed and feel. Why is the most Googled fear of 2020 other people? Perhaps because of so much of what's going on around us today. But it didn't start with today. It didn't start with what's happening within society or, or, or what's happening within the world or what's happening with COVID-19. Those are all things that we experience. You see, fear is a very real thing, but we can walk in freedom from fear. We don't have to be ruled by fear. It doesn't have to dominate our life. So how do we do that? How do we overcome fear? What does it look like for us to live free from that. And see, because this is important for us to recognize, because here's what I know about fear. Fear will paralyze you. You, you get, you just freeze up. It's like, there's a reason why they use the phrase deer in the headlights. Deer in headlights. Boom. You see that? And you just freeze up. What is it that's happening? What is it that's transpiring? What is going on that's causing that? It's important for us to recognize how to handle this correctly, because when we do, we're able to live differently. And that's what God's called us to do, church. He's called us to live differently. We just got done with a series called City on a Hill. You're a beacon of light. People are looking to you. It's not that you have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. But you can live different. Here's the first thing I think that will help us overcome fear. It's this. It's understanding that being afraid doesn't keep you from being with God. You see, you're going to be afraid. You are human. There is fear that's going to come up, but it doesn't mean that God is absent. Sometimes you think, oh, I can't be afraid, can't be afraid, can't be afraid. Can't ever be afraid or else I'm not a Christian or I don't love God or I don't trust him or I don't. Well, no, hold on. You're going to feel fear in a moment. That's different than living in fear. You, you understand that, okay, look, being afraid doesn't keep me from being with God. When you look through this word every single time, God spoke to someone. There was always a moment of fear when he called them into something greater. You see, God's calling each one of us to a greater level of faith. And there's an opportunity for us to operate in fear. You go, well, I'm not old enough. I'm not mature enough. I don't have the experience. I'm not, I don't have this gifting. I don't have that gifting. Every time God spoke to someone and called them into something greater, they always measured that moment by their own inadequacy. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. 
God's with you and he's for you. I think of the story of Peter. Some of you know the story of Peter. They're all in the boat. Peter, Jesus is walking on water. Imagine you're out in a boat and all of a sudden, hey, uh, isn't that Jesus? He's just walking on water. They call to him. He comes out. He calls to Peter. Peter, step out the boat. You see, God's calling some of you to step out the boat. He's calling some of you, step out the boat. Let's start living with faith. Now, Peter, he did a lot of foolish things, all right? There's a lot of hope for us, you know, when you think of Peter. I love Peter because I'm like, that dude said things he shouldn't have said, did things he shouldn't have said, or shouldn't have done, and yet God still used him. I'm like, all right, God, you can use me. He stepped out the boat, took a couple of steps, and then began to sink. And a lot of people dial into that story of, of, oh, he didn't, oh, ye of little faith. Those were words that Jesus spoke to him and that he begins to sink. But here's the power. First off, he's taken one more step than I ever did when it comes to walking on water. Anyone else in here walked on water? I haven't. He was willing in the moment when God called him into partnership. God called him into something greater than himself. He stepped out of the boat. He stepped out of the boat trusting God. But what began to happen? You see, Jesus was there and with him, but he got his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at the wind. And when he saw the wind, it wasn't even that he saw trouble. It wasn't even that he saw something to be fearful of. He just saw the potential of it. And in that moment, got his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. But here's the great thing is even in that moment, it says that Jesus reached out his hand and pulled Peter up. You see, people who understand how to overcome fear, it's not that they don't have fear. It's when they do have fear and they start to sink, they, knew whose, they know whose hand to reach up and grab. See, what are you reaching out to grab in your moment of fear? That really becomes the problem. That really is the challenge because we start recognizing, I'm not reaching out. I get afraid. God, are you going to do what you've called us to do? God, are we going to continue to reach and build? Are you going to heal and touch this thing or that thing? Are you going to be with my kids? Are you going to be with Wendy? Are you going to... In a moment of fear, I know whose hand to reach out to. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. In the moment of fear that you're experiencing, do you know whose hand to reach out to? You see, just because you have a little bit of fear doesn't mean that God is not with you. He's with you and he's for you. You see, when we begin to see that and we do that, it really leads us to the second thing that helps us overcome fear is we recognize this, that we recognize fear is a spirit, so it's irrational. Fear is a spirit. Fear is not a response, although you will have a response. Fear is not an emotion, although you'll feel the emotion. Fear is a spirit. So it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It causes you to think things that don't even line up with God's word and don't make sense. Look at Mary's story. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're highly favored. I'm with you. I'm afraid. That doesn't even make sense. Yes, again, there may be some holy fear. Wow, this is God showing up on the scene, interacting with me. But she was legitimately afraid. There wasn't a reverence that the angel of the Lord spoke to. As if, like, when you think of the story of Moses, when he comes and he comes across a burning bush. Imagine if you saw a burning bush in the middle of the desert out of nowhere. And the voice of God says, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. Okay. It wasn't that type of moment. It wasn't this holy ground. Her response wasn't this, oh, you're reverent and holy. It was, I'm afraid. That's why he had to say, don't be afraid. See, it's irrational. It doesn't even make sense to respond that way. That's what happens with fear. 
Fear is overwhelming. It's irrational. It's vain imaginations. You start thinking things and feeling things, and you think, well, if God was, you know, if God asked me to do this or God told me to do that, if God was just with me here, then I wouldn't know you wouldn't. You wouldn't because you're afraid. Because fear is irrational. So that means you can't handle and deal with fear in a rational way. How do you overcome it? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It is a spirit. This is the first scripture that I taught my girls to memorize. Real simple. We had hand movements, everything. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power. Love and a sound mind. They do it now to this day. Real simple to memorize. Why do I want them to get this in their heart? Because there will be times where they will be afraid and they're going to recognize, wait a minute, that's a spirit of fear. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. And there have been times they come out just like any kid. No, I'm scared. I had this thought or I saw this on the TV and I didn't mean to see it and it startled me or it scared me or, you know, whatever it is or I, I had this bad dream. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you haven't given them a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Boom, they go to bed. What are they doing? They're getting that word. See, this is what we do. How do you overcome fear? Well, first is he's giving you power. What's the power? It's the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, who gives us peace, who gives us perspective. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the power. Love, what's love? Love is the motivator. Everything that I do, I'm doing with love. When I'm uncertain, I'm putting trust and love in the gap. I, why did they say that? Why did they do that? Why did they respond that way? Why did they act as way? I don't know. You can wonder and worry and start to blame and question. No, no, no. I'm going to put love in the gap. Love is the motivator. Sound mind. What is a sound mind? It's wisdom. Proverbs says, get wisdom at all cost. I mean, pay, we pay money for a lot of things. We pay a lot of money for a lot of things and a lot of comfort. How much money are you paying for wisdom? How much are you pursuing wisdom? Here's something real simple. You want wisdom? Go to this book. It's called the book of Proverbs. Go to this Bible. In here is a book called the book of Proverbs, 31 Proverbs. Guess what that is? One a day. Today's the sixth. Go to Proverbs chapter six. Read it today. Just get at all costs, get wisdom in you. It is a spirit. And we're going to pray at the end of service. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to break that spirit of fear that's on some of us. Fear to step out in faith and do what God's called us to do. Fear to get out of the boat, right? The fear and anxiety and worry of the uncertainty of your life, your marriage, your future, your kids, your finances, your job, your security, all those things. We're going to break off a spirit of fear today. But here's the third thing that people that overcome fear do is they expect to have fearful moments but realize you don't have to live in fear. You're going to have fearful moments. You'll have the moment that fear, boom, you feel it. You feel the shot of adrenaline. You feel the worry. But you don't have to live in fear. I want to make it real practical for you in our next few moments together before I pray for you. I want to give you four things that I think people who overcome fear do. Here's four things that, that people who overcome fear do just a little bit differently. First is they trust the character of God. Trust the character of God. Who does God say he is? You see, fear will come in and cause you to view God through a characteristic that is not him. 
You trust the character of God. God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to be who he said he's going to be. He is there for me. He is with me. He is for me. I can trust that in the moment of fear and worry, just like Peter, I can take his hand and know that he's with me. Why? Because that's the character of God. He says he will never leave me or forsake me. I'm going to trust the character of God. As you're living life, as you're going to school, as you're stepping out into that new uh, job venture, as you're looking at the things that God has in store for you, all of these things, all of these things, trusting God along the way, that God, look, are they going to experience fear? Absolutely. Are you going to experience it? Am I going to experience it? Absolutely. But we can do it differently. We can experience it and walk through it differently because we experience it in the moment, but we're not living in fear. Fear. Here, here's the next thing. When, when you recognize that and you see those things and you recognize how to overcome it, then you also recognize that those people don't feed their fear. What you feed grows. You get so myopic on the thing you're worried about. And all you do is think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. And I say it all the time. What you focus on, you fixate over. Y'all all fixating over that fear. And then you wonder, why does it seem so big? Why is it overtaking me? Why can I not sleep? Why am I? Because that's all you think about. Because what you focus on, you fixate over. What you fixate over, you move towards. Fear is not a good motivator for a good decision. There may be a good decision you need to make, but you can have a bad motivator, and that motivator is fear. Not a good motivator. It's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you. It will be the seed that you plant, and that's what ends up growing, and you become overwhelmed by it. So you, you recognize, okay, I don't have to be ruled by that. That doesn't have to dominate my life. Here, here's the third thing that, 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 that people who overcome fear do differently. And this is powerful, and this is why we build the way we build, to have other people in their life. Look, there's a lot of ways to build church, but at the end of the day, we build as a family because of this reason right here. We need others. We need each other. Reach people, build lives, see people saved, baptized, equipped, empowered to move and fulfill the great commission that they may reach people and build lives, that they may reach people and build lives. Look, it may not be fast, but it's for certain. Because you start building that way, it's only a matter of time. Families don't build fast. Because if you want something to last, you're going to take your time and you're going to build well. You see, what I love about Mary is you read the story, you look back and you recognize and see Mary had someone in her life. She's in a moment of challenge. She actually went and she saw Elizabeth, who she went to, who was just a little bit ahead of where she was. And Elizabeth just kind of coached her up and helped her out. See, in your moment of fear, who do you have that you call? Who do you have that you reach out to? That's going to push you to Jesus. That's going to remind you that Jesus is more than enough. That's going to remind you of God's character. That's going to say, hey, while you're sinking, wait, wait, who's there with you and for you? Reach out and take his hand. Who do you have in your life? That's what concerns us. That's why we build the way we build. My passion is many of us don't have anyone in our life. And we're sinking and sinking and sinking and we don't understand why. You will go through fear and you'll handle fear differently when you have someone in your life. And here's the last thing. They know they're not a part of this kingdom. They know they're not a part of this kingdom. You see, 
some of you, we forget. We think the Christmas story ends with the birth of Jesus. That's just the beginning, people. Where does it end up? It ends up with him 33 years later dying on the cross for my sins and your sins. The power and the freedom that we get to experience because of what he did. What does that mean then? That means that I'm not of this kingdom. I'm not of this world. I live in this world, but I'm not overrun and overwhelmed by what's happening in this world. That's the difference because when you're a Christian, you have victory even in death. If you have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can't lose. That's the victory we have. So listen, that means I'm not a part. My, my kingdom isn't ruled by the stock market. My kingdom isn't ruled by my 401k or the job that I have. My kingdom isn't ruled by the status that I have. My kingdom isn't ruled by who's in the government official that's in position, who's president, who's not president, all of those things. Now, listen, based on God's word, I'm going to abide by the laws that are set up. I'm going to honor those and pray for those that are in those government and ruling positions. But make no mistake, I'm not of this kingdom. I'm not ruled by it. I don't have to be overwhelmed by it. I don't have to be fearful by it. I can prosper no matter what's happening within the world or society. Because at the end of the day, this is not my home. Heaven is my home. And I'm going to take as many people there with me along the way. That's a different perspective. Will I be fearful? Sure. If I click on my little bank app and all of a sudden, boom, there's no dollars in there. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like, whoa, fearful. Someone robbed me. What happened? I don't know what's going on. A little fear, but at the end of the day, hey, God's my provider. Not my banking institution. I'm going to figure out what's there. I'm going to figure out what I need to do. Okay. Whoever's elected, whatever season, whatever moment, whatever regulation, whatever guideline, yeah, however inconvenient or not inconvenient, God can still move. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. I am not a part of this kingdom. See, I see it differently. You can see it differently. People who walk through fear and handle it differently and and experience it differently understand this. Jesus said this. Jesus' own words, John chapter 18, verse 36, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, think of the thing as I, I want to pray for you. As I wrap up, I want you to think of the thing that you're afraid of. What is it that's overwhelming you, that, that concerns you, that stresses you out, that you lay awake at night? The truth is, oftentimes, it's robbing you, and 90% of the time, it's robbing you of time and energy and emotion. 90% of the time, it doesn't even come to pass. Ask yourself, the thing that you're most afraid of and anxious about right now, will you still be that worried about it a year from now? And you may go, well, I mean, Chris, I have this, this health condition, or I'm believing for this to happen in my child, or this to happen in my marriage, or I'm, I'm believing for a child, I'm believing to get married, whatever it may be. I'm believing for my future when it comes to college, or athletics, or sports, or my future, whatever it may be, whatever age, we all have opportunity to experience a worry, a concern, a fear, but we don't have to live in that. You see, it's a spirit. You can live with power, love, and a sound mind. You can experience fear and walk through it differently. You can overcome it. God's calling every single one of us into something greater. 
And you may be a little fearful. He's saying, hey, why don't you get out the boat? Am I going to sink? You might. But we'd be willing to step out the boat and do what he's asked you to do. Because he is intersecting your everyday life and saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. 